This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Clock Dodgers, your inside glance into the lives of those willing to share. Essentially what that question is asking is, is, is addiction heritable? Right, sorry. And you inherited it. You said it much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what I said, right? <laughs> um, um, but until I see, you know, the actual research, you know, I approach it with skepticism. You know, fundamentally what they're trying to do is make a buck, <laughs> you know? You are now locked in to the Clock Dodgers podcast. Sports, entertainment, and culture. Hello, everybody. I'm excited because we have a return guest to the show who I literally could talk to every single episode, and I'd be fine with that. But he's a busy guy. He's doing important work with neuroscientists and brain studies and everything. So I do want to welcome back to the show, Ian McLaughlin. How you been, man? Pretty good. How you been, Neil? I've been good. I've been good. See, it's not like I never feel totally disconnected from you because I'm always watching your scopes. So <laughs> although you don't see me necessarily, I always am kind of watching you in a weird way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's cool. We, you know, I, I, I want to kind of, you know, before we go too deep into anything, I want to kind of mention that you know, Periscope. And the reason for that is, you know, the way I've found you, met you, uh, became familiar with you was because of Periscope. And I know we mentioned that the last time we spoke, but since then, it seems like your scopes have gone to like a whole nother level even. Um, You know, you have these screens that are on the screen with you. You have this awesome 360 periscopes that you do. You just have all all this crazy stuff. I know you mentioned that you were nominated um, for a Shorty Award, which... For those who aren't familiar, are basically social media awards, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. They sort of fashion themselves after like the Oscars or the uh, the Emmys or something like that. Right, and, and it's well deserved because uh, you know you're here for for that reason. Because I, I, I don't, you're, you're familiar with Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Of course. Okay, so the reason I bring that up is because Neil deGrasse Tyson is unique in a way to me that he makes people who necessarily wouldn't be out searching for the information that he that he talks about. Um, and he, or even if you would be looking for it, but he, he makes it fun. He makes it interesting. He has this thing that you disconnect with that you don't mind listening to it, or you look forward to listening to it. And he kind of brings in new people to that, to that genre, I guess you would call it, or that study. Um, I feel like you're kind of that man in neuroscience. Is that too crazy to hear? <laughs> it's very crazy to hear. I mean, I, I aspire to like emulate him. He's awesome, man. Yeah. He's really, really talented at that. Yeah. You, I mean, you have this, you know, you have this way of connecting with people. Um, you know, we mentioned Periscope, you have the podcast that you do, Wired to be Weird. There's all these things and, you know, you're talking about the brain and, and, and drugs and all, all society and all these kind of things that have to do with, you know, the, st- the things that you study and you work on. And, you know, for a guy like you, how how important, or even just for the field that you're in, how important is social media and stuff like Periscope to you? Yeah, so I mean, it's actually um, sort of being recognized by the entire field as being pretty critical uh, because um, the majority of like research, of basic science research in this country is funded by the federal government. And what that means is it's actually funded by your tax dollars, right? And so I think for a long time and for a lot of people, 
a lot of people view science as something that's like external to them. It doesn't, it sort of affects them indirectly, right? You know, they don't have like a direct role in it. And actually you do, right? You're, it's part of what we're investing in as a nation. And so, um, you know, the field scientists in general are sort of recognizing pretty rapidly that we've been negligent in communicating science to the public. Like we can't just rely on folks like Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? I mean, as great of a job as he does, we need more exposure. Sure. Um, and social media has been really, really good for that. Well, man, you heard it here first. I'm coining you the Neil deGrasse Tyson of neuroscience. So <laughs> oh, if that, we'll if that on takes foot. off, which I expect it to, I, I'm coining that here, man. And <laughs> you deserve it. So, you know, we, me and you, we spoke off of off the air here about, you know, things that are, you know, hot topics per se on your, on your scopes and things that you get asked a lot. For those who do watch and are familiar with you already, you, you pretty much get bombarded with questions the entire, you know, scope that you run in and you're answering them as quickly as possible and as well as possible. But one of the things that you said you just recently did a podcast on that hasn't been released yet, right? Yeah. Not okay. Yet. Not yet. And you talk about it on the scopes. Obviously, people ask you a lot. It's about deja vu. So, it's a super interesting topic. And so I just want to dive into it a little bit with you. Obviously, I'm looking forward to your to your podcast about it. But, you know, the, the, the deja vu in general is a feeling of experiencing an event that you like already experienced, basically, right? That's how you would how would you describe it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I, I think a lot of people um, like that's that's a very important component of it, right? You're like you feel familiar with something that's happening right now um, inappropriately. And so like the second part of deja vu that's kind of important is that you are also, you also realize that you have not actually experienced this. Right. Right. So it's familiar, but it shouldn't be. And you know that it shouldn't be. That's crazy. That's already crazy in itself. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, as far as deja vu, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, they've made movies about it. They've, you know, written stories about it. And, you know, I feel like as humans, we're always intrigued by like the unknown or, you know, the why of something like why it happens. And, you know, is deja vu scientifically or, you know, in that capacity, is it 100% explainable or is it not? Is there still, you know, that being questioned? Well, it's been really hard to study um, for some, you know, obvious reasons, like for, you know, the majority of time, you can't really induce deja vu, or at least you couldn't. Um, but it has been studied. And so like, for example, um, deja vu actually translates to like already seen basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, you know, there are other deja type experiences that, that people talk about like deja vu, which is really what um, I think most people are talking about when they say deja vu, which is like literally re-experiencing something. Um, but then there's like deja rencontre, which is like the incorrect perception that you've met someone before. Um, and you know, there are a bunch of French words that I can't actually <laughs> pronounce like deja uh, uh, rêve uh, to describe like you've had a dream before. Um, Right. But you actually haven't that, that like inappropriate familiarity. Right. Um, but so recently, um, like a lot of the research that um, focuses on or at least talks about deja vu is actually epilepsy research, um, because it turns out that a certain proportion of epilepsy patients will have recurrent deja vu and they have a certain kind of epilepsy. And so that was sort of like the springboard to understand the anatomy of deja vu in people who don't have epilepsy. OK. OK. I see what you're saying. So. When, when you're saying uh, dreams, okay, so you, you brought up dreams. Are, are dreams some kind of form of deja vu, are you saying, or are they just correlated, you know, together somehow? Oh, so not necessarily, right? Okay. So I mean, we can talk about dreams um, if you'd like, um, but it's really like deja vu is like 
you you have this this sense that you've had this dream before, but you also know that you haven't had the dream before. Right. right? It's that same kind of thing. Where okay. It's this this inappropriate familiarity. Okay, gotcha. So now you mentioned that it is being studied in, in, in the field of neuroscience. You know, are are things like deja vu and dreams a uh, a big fish, I guess, or are things like brain injuries, Alzheimer's stuff still obviously because of the importance of you know the serious nature of them still like the big daddies compared to stuff like that. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. So um, they're not really right. The the majority of the field is focused on what you might call translational research or like research that's focused on developing cures for, you know, disorders and diseases. Um, and that's understandable. And it, it there is an argument within the field, which is that that's probably not the best way to go about things because we need to, you know, crawl before we can walk. Right. right. And so we need to understand the brain at a very basic level. It's the most complicated organ by far, right? And so if we don't understand, you know, arithmetic, it's difficult to do calculus, you know? Right. And so we need to understand, you know, the basic anatomy of the brain, how the brain functions before we can start to, you know, competently intervene to treat conditions like Alzheimer's disease or, you know, addiction. Right. Okay. So, so it is, it is on a smaller scale because it's not as serious, not life threatening or something, but I see what you're saying. So, so deja vu, I mean, as far as someone like you, what what is the most unique thing about deja vu? Is there something that just, you know, intrigues you about it? Or, you know, is it just that mystery that everyone, you know, constantly asks you about it because it's such <laughs> a, you know, thing that ponders our mind that we get so crazy about it? For sure. I mean, it, so this is actually probably one of the most interesting podcasts that I've done. So whenever I do a podcast, I do a literature review, right? I look at the research that's been done in the past few years to see what we know. And I expected to just talk about, you know, okay, deja vu seems to be associated with like the temporal lobe and memory associated structures. But I, I was actually able to learn, you know, different theories about how memory itself works, but then also like how the, that sort of process, the process of deja vu is also associated with how people can convince you that you're guilty of things that you've actually never done right. or convince you of false evidence. Right. It's this it's the same sort of mem like imperfection of how memory works. Uh, and that that was what was really special to me about, you know, studying uh, this subject. OK, so so let me think. OK, so f for instance, I'm going to just give you like a personal experience and you just tell me, you know, if this plays into deja vu or what, what it is exactly. So let's just say, for instance, I, I was driving in my car one day. Um, I hear a name on the radio or something. It was just like, let's just say a, not a common name for me, at least I don't hear often like Mac or something like that. It's just like a name I don't hear a lot. And then as soon as I'm hearing that name on the radio, a truck drives by and it says like Max landscaping, mm. like what now, you know, when that happens to you, at least for me, I can only speak for myself. It kind of freaks you out. You're like, okay, I don't hear this name often. I'm, I'm hearing on the radio and seeing a, a landscape company at the same time called this. And then, like you said, you kind of start to convince yourself that something's going on. Like, this has to be something greater. You know what I mean? Um, is that what, – what is that? Does that have any relation to deja vu in that part of the brain? Or, or is it just something totally unrelated, but I'm just going crazy myself? <laughs> no, yeah. I, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably not exactly the same type of process. I mean, so we are fundamentally pattern-seeking. Right. So like, you know, part of how we evolved to, you know, navigate the world, navigate the environment was to see patterns in nature. And, you know, we're actually really, really very good at that. Um, but sometimes it goes wrong. So, for example, you know, in a condition like schizophrenia, that's like a hallmark symptom of schizophrenia where people will connect dots that shouldn't be connected. <laughs> and so they see, you know, people wearing similar clothes you know, on, on the same day. And they're like, you know, they make the connection. Okay. So they're probably wearing uniforms and who wears uniforms police. And so the police are, you know, like right. it's that kind of paranoid thing. 
Um, so just like, you know, our memory isn't perfect, our pattern seeking, you know, properties aren't perfect either. Gotcha. So, so you, so you mentioned, you know, people who will admit guilt of something they didn't do. And you said it, you said you found that out though, when doing research for deja vu. So, so what is the connection then? Where, where is that? Cause they're obviously slightly different, but what, what is the connection that you, that you, you're talking about? Okay. Yeah. So th- there were two sort of sets of experiments that, um, I covered on the podcast, um, so one of them was an experiment where um, basically this group was trying to see how it is that like images and videos can convince you of false evidence. And so like what the group did is um, they had uh, their subjects take what's called a, a perception driving to hazard perception driving test. And then they were falsely accused of cheating on this test. And so this test is like maybe it's part of like driver's ed where you right. watch a video and you, you know, respond to certain problems that you encounter when driving. Um, and so they were shown a fake video or photograph of them cheating, right, doctored, wow. uh, at either a nine-minute delay after they took the test um, or more than once, either immediately after they took the test or with a delay after they took the test, right? And so it turned out that with a delay, people were significantly more likely to be convinced that they had indeed cheated on the driving test, and they would even explain how they cheated. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Despite the fact that like literally like less than 10 minutes ago, they had just taken this test, you know, um, and then repeating that false evidence, like repeatedly showing them the mm-hmm. false evidence was also able to convince them that they had cheated when they in reality hadn't. Okay. And is that, is that, does that relate to when they say like, you know, someone says they, you know, they they, they admit their guilt of something and then later they, their lawyer or something comes out and says, oh, well, they were pressured for 10 hours and, you know, finally they just, you know, admitted to doing it when they didn't. Is that, is that similar to that? Or is that just a pressure situation you think that that caused that, like they broke them down? Is that two different situations of guilt where they admitted it when they didn't do it? Or is that similar? I think that that is exactly okay. the problem here, right? I mean, that that's exactly, you're nailing it, right? So, I mean, and that's our huge concern, you know, so we, you know, our whole criminal law system is sort of based off of, you know, credibility and culpability, right? And so was, did this person actually see the crime is, you know, was there an eyewitness of this event? Right. Uh, so for, you know, and part of this, you know, this, uh, podcast, you know, research that I did really demonstrates that first of all, the memory of the event is very labile, but then also even the way that evidence is presented in court can convince, you know, somebody that they're guilty of something or, you know, during an interrogation can convince somebody that they are, they are you know, literally convince them that they're right. guilty of something. And they're not just saying like, OK, I give up. I'm guilty necessarily. I'm sure that happens a lot. Right. But this like can literally convince somebody that they're guilty when they're not. That's so crazy. It's so it's, it's so, you know, and, you know, it's weird because it kind of also and I, I'm, I'm sure they're probably not related either, but it also kind of makes me think of like the placebo effect, right? Where you're telling someone, you know, you're taking this and you're going to get better and then they get better. Um, um, is, is that, in, is that, I mean, does that have any, it, it sounds like that in a different capacity, but you know what I mean? Like where you're not actually, you didn't actually do something, but you did. And that's an inter- interesting uh, connection that I hadn't thought about. Um, you know, th- there's, you know, some, probably some, some overlapping, um, uh, circuitry that could explain that. Um, I mean, I think the relationships between the sort of, you know, cognitive states and mood states and body states, you know, like inflammation or pain, like those are probably a little bit different, but it is true that like, if you believe something, right? Like if, if you're convinced of something, you will believe it. Right. <laughs> right. Know? Like, like you don't have perfect skepticism. Um, and so, you know, if a doctor is giving you a sugar pill and they're telling you like, this is the treatment, this is going to work, you know, we are, 
labile, right? We are vulnerable to that kind of uh, that kind of uh, um, persuasion. Yeah, man. So 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 in- interesting. And I don't want to you know make you tell too much about deja vu because I do want you know your podcast. I do want it to have some some surprises. Oh, there's plenty more. There's plenty more. <laughs> so I don't want, I don't want to be I don't want to go you know too far down the path because I'm I'm excited myself to hear it and I want to hear it like for the first time. <laughs> but um, as far you know, speaking of placebo effect, like from from your standpoint, I mean, I don't do do you research that a lot and stuff or is it not really your thing? Well, I mean, it's it's not something that I you know my research specifically focuses on, mm-hmm. but it's something that we all have to take into account when we're doing our experiments. Right. Right. The, re- the reason I bring it up is because I did see something about like insomnia recently um, where something they, they were doing some kind of study, I think, with I don't know if they were telling them they were doing a study with their brain or, or what the situation was. But basically, whatever they were telling the people um, that they were trying to study, you know, their brain for for insomnia, that like for the ones that they didn't do it, it still improved. Um, and I, it has something to do with the brain. I forget exactly what they were testing or telling them they were testing. Um, but I was just curious, like from from your, you know, uh, you know, your opinion and what you've learned, it, it, is that a, a mental thing, placebo, or is it, it, it does have physical effects as well, though, right? Actually, physical effects on people's bodies? Yeah, I mean, it can manifest, you know, like, in, in treatments that have really nothing even to do with, like, psychiatric conditions. But, like, um, so, for example, um, you know, a lot of insomnia can be caused by, you know, heightened anxiety or chronic stress or something like that. And, of course, you know, once you get into psychiatric conditions that revolve around mood, um, then, you know, a bunch of factors that are very abstract and like just not tangible come into play. And so like, you know, if you're being, if, if, uh, you have heightened anxiety because, you know, um, there's some ex- external, you know, stressor, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you think you might get fired or you're not performing well, you know, at work or whatever it might be, you know, if you have some other thing to latch onto, to reduce your anxiety, like, okay, I'm getting treatment for this then that belief will influence your mood states, right? Right. And so, you know, given the fact that, you know, if your insomnia is being caused by heightened anxiety, a mood state, and, you know, this, this uh, uh, reliance or, you know, this trust in a physician treating, the, you know, your, your heightened anxiety, um, then, yeah, I mean, one could imagine that, you know, insomnia would be a, perfect, a perfectly sensitive condition to the placebo effect. Yeah. And, and, and I've heard such things, you know, when it comes to, you know, the brain is your specialty. And I've heard people say stuff like the stomach is the second brain. Mm. Have you, you've heard that, right? That, 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 that description. Um, sure. and, and obviously a lot of things, it's just something that's always kind of interested me was a lot of things that you feel, um, whether it's fear, you know, anxiousness, uh, anxiety, all, all these kind of things, nervousness, um, you feel it in your gut, right? That's what they say. You feel it in your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, what is, I've always been curious, what is the correlation there? Like, what is that? What is the reason for that? Why is it always like, you know, if your brain feels it, your stomach feels it for some strange reason? Right. Well, I mean, so somatic uh, uh, experiences, meaning like bodily sensations, right? Those are all still taking place in the brain. Um, you know, the, the brain itself doesn't feel. It relies on sensory receptors that are in the periphery. And, you know, the periphery includes your gut. Um, and so, yeah, so people talk about, you know, the second brain uh, being in the gut um, because there is a thing called the enteric nervous system. We have a huge number of neurons that populate our gut. Um, but those neurons are not doing the same kinds of things that the neurons in our brain are doing. Right. right? Their, connect, their connectivity is just fundamentally different. What they're doing is regulating digestion, being sensitive to the nutrients you're absorbing from what you've eaten, and then sending those signals up to the brain. Um, now, the unique thing is that, that your enteric nervous system can function without the brain. <laughs> so, 
Um, wow. But it's not like it can function and generate mood, generate consciousness, you know, have thoughts. It can't do that. Right. But, you know, it's a very complicated nervous system that's capable of digestion. Interesting. Because, yeah, I mean, everything is, I guess it's all connected, like you said, and they kind of send in signals back and forth. And you just always hear people say that. So I was just always curious yeah. when they say, go with your gut instinct, go with your first instinct, that gut instinct. You know, I always, you always hear people say it. And it's like, I was like, what's the science behind that? saying you know sure that's why i was thinking about that um when we were speaking about periscope earlier um what is like your your most um you know we mentioned deja vu is that the question you get the most Hmm. well you know i I mean i think you know i for a long time i've wanted i wish that like i could just do a statistical review of like the comments that come up i like i would imagine it would be pretty simple to do that but my bet is that it would be cannabis um you know like a lot of people you know, all throughout the world, but definitely in the United States, are really interested in comparing cannabis to alcohol in terms of how you know dangerous they are, um, and you know how, if they're addictive, how addictive, um, and you know if they're just bad for you. Um, and I, th- I think it makes sense, right? Because there is this wave of state level legalization, and so, but that, you know, it's not consistent, right? There are a bunch of states that still consider it to be just as illegal as you know uh, LSD or whatever, right? Uh, so, so that, that's probably the number one. But deja vu, what's interesting is that can, cannabis seems to come up in waves where like there will be a week where, you know, the DEA is considering rescheduling cannabis. And so then I'll get like a barrage of cannabis topics. But then <laughs> so it's deja like vu, politically driven, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then deja vu, it's been really a consistent, like, I think it came up on the first day I did this and it comes up almost every day that I do it. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's one of those things. You're right. I, 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 whenever I'm watching them, I, I think it is probably the most common thing. And then of course, a lot of people are also giving you like um, their personal situations or someone close to them. Like, you know, how do they fix this or what are alternate options? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Which is really cool. And that's why I said, you know, the Periscope thing is so cool. And, and, and you mentioned cannabis and, you know, it gets kind of um, hot and then colder and then hotter and colder because of, of stuff like that are happening in the news and, and politics. Um and you also mentioned it's being a scheduled one, right? Which is yep. um, crazy to most people. To someone in your position, is that crazy? It's absolutely insane. It, it, I mean, it's worse than crazy. It, it's actually, you know, asinine. It's it's damaging. Um, it, it's ruining people's lives for no net benefit. Um, and it's it's wasting tremendous resources that could go to, you know, treating addiction to other substances, for example, or education. You know, like you could, if you could just tax it just like we tax alcohol and regulate it just like we regulate alcohol, it would be beneficial for the economy and beneficial for society. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's absolutely insane. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the other things I like about you is when you talk about stuff. In, in, in this field and everything, you always have a solution or a, um, not a solution necessarily, but a way for someone to try on our, on our end to improve that situation or to, you know, to rectify it or how to, you know, to change it. Um, as far as just cannabis, because so many people are concerned with it and have all these questions about it. Is there anything that the people listening or that are out there right now can do to, to support that movement, that cannabis movement of, of taking it off of scheduled one or to get their, you know, local sectors involved. Cause a lot of people don't know. They just, they just ask questions and they talk, but they don't act as far as, you know, they don't know where to act. Um, mm-hmm. so besides talking about it, is there anything that people can do on an individual level? Well, I mean, so, so I, I should say like we did two podcast episodes on cannabis, right? So if you're just interested in, in educating yourself or, you know, if your listeners are interested in educating yourself, I mean, there's tons of great information on the internet, right? Um, you know, we tried to curate it a little bit and we go from how it works pharmacologically to whether or not it's dangerous, for whom it might be dangerous, all that kind of stuff. And then also some of the, you know, legislative side. 
Um, but one of the things that I've become very interested in is trying to help people understand how to communicate with the government, how to communicate with the people who represent them, um, who work for them. You know, and so I think the number one thing that um, you know legislators are concerned with <laughs> is re-election. <laughs> right. You know, like that's really what's the top priority. And so you know, if you figure out who your representatives are and you give them a call, don't email them. You know, they, that's, they literally weight phone calls as more significant. Like you represent, you know, let's say a hundred people. If you email them, you represent like a thousand people if, if you wow. call them. Yeah. So it, there's literally like an algorithm that they use. But in any case, you know, if you find out who your, who your representatives are and you call them and you say, listen, you know, I'm a constituent. I consider the fact that cannabis is schedule one to be ridiculous. Um, I think it's damaging. Um, you know, you be nice, you be cordial, but you just communicate the fact that you have this priority. This is how you feel and they represent you. You know, that's probably something that very few people do, but really should be doing. Right, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. When, like, and that's when whenever you whenever you watch your scopes or any, any, the podcast you do, like I said, you don't just have science and facts, but you also have the way to act. You know, to, <laughs> to change things, and that's awesome. Um, and like I said, a lot of people don't know how to, and just you, you know, you have such a platform um, right now that you know a voice where you can where you can make a lot of um, change. So it's just always good to to see that rather than wasting it. You know. Um, we were talking about cannabis, which obviously, like you said, there's, you know, a crazy amount of benefits to it. Um, besides, and, and for all different, all different things, um, you're obviously, you know, you specialize in a certain field in, in your, in, with, with, when it comes to the brain and we did speak about cannabis, I think last time you were on, but is there any other supplements in general that, you know, you recommend whether it's to maintain you know, your current brain function, whether it's to strengthen it somehow. I mean, people always um, see these infomercials and they hear about things and take this pill, do that, kind of like with weight loss, you know, these magic pills, take this, take that. I mean, are, is there anything supplement wise that, you know, you can take that can help you in any way? Or is all of that really just kind of, you know, either a sales tactic or just kind of hoping, you know, for something? Is there anything legitimate that could really, you know, that people should look out for or take or, you know, use? Right. I mean, so so I should say, right, um, just like with cannabis, just like with a lot of things that, that aren't really regulated by anybody, <laughs> um, a lot of the benefits are, are exaggerated. Right. So that, that's definitely true for cannabis. And like one of the things that we talk about in the podcast is like the, just the number of conditions that people have been have like claimed cannabis can treat or cure. And it's it's insane. I mean, it's just like, you know, everything from multiple sclerosis and in their, their potential benefits, but to, you know, uh, diabetes to cancer to, and it's, and so because nobody's, you know, we can't treat this, this substance like any other drug, it's difficult to research. And so the claims can get a little crazy. Right. Um, but so, so that's true for, you know, the vast, vast majority of supplements that are marketed towards, you know, uh, enhancing cognition or improving memory or, you know, enhancing focus. Like there, there are probably some benefits to some of them, right? But the vast majority of claims are not supported by uh, research. And in fact, in some cases, uh, um, contradicted by the research. Um, and so, I mean, you know, I, I'm always open-minded to, you know, maybe some of these claims are possible. Um, but until I see, you know, the actual research, you know, I approach it with skepticism, you know, fundamentally what they're trying to do is make a buck, right, <laughs> you know? Right. And so, um, you know, and, and so what, what can sometimes happen is that there will be, you know, a study of like 
you know, 20 people, which is a very, very small study. And they were able to find that, you know, let's say uh, Bacopa monieri was able to enhance, you know, verbal recall, um, you know, by 2% or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's a finding. It's not that significant. But then that company will say, Bacopa monieri improves your ability to speak, <laughs> you yeah. know. And so that's kind of the fundamental problem. And, and another thing to consider is that the supplement industry is not regulated like the pharmaceutical industry is. Right. Where, you know, if Pfizer claims that, you know, whatever drug Prozac, I don't know if they make Prozac, but, you know, Prozac <laughs> can cure schizophrenia. If they make that claim, they, they're, you know, liable, like they can be sued for millions and millions of dollars. Now, if some supplement company, you know, says that their ginkgo biloba can, you know, prevent dementia, they're really not liable <laughs> like you know right. they're not they're just not held to the same standard so you right. got to be very skeptical right and, and and then of course you also see the situations where you know one study says it does this the next study totally you know counters For that sure. and says it doesn't um just i mean you personally do you take anything do you take any supplements or anything or do or even like i know obviously you know you, you're obviously a very smart dude and obviously you're very educated and you, and you work hard at that you do a lot of research so that obviously is keeping your brain sharp but is there any you know stuff that you do for your brain or any supplements you take or anything that you do that you feel keeps you sharp or anything like that? You know, I used to, um, like I, I used to take omega-3 fatty acids. Um, when I was in college, I, I took, uh, nootropics, um, which, you know, maybe some people might've heard of paracetam. Right. Um, and you know, this, I was, just, I was a lot more, uh, I don't know, naive, I guess. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I wanted any help I could get. Um, and uh, I don't know that it actually had any benefit. It probably didn't really. Mm -hmm. um, and at this point, you know, like, so for example, when it comes to omega-3 fatty acids, of all of the supplements, right, that are out there, that was the one that pretty much scientists and clinicians agreed like, okay, it, it's not going to hurt you. And there could very well be some benefits. It might stave off dementia, you know, um, it might improve, you know, cognition. Um, but there was like a recent study that came out and I wish I had it in front of me so I could get specific, but it was a massive, massive, what's called meta review where, you know, a, a group will look at all of the studies and all of the, uh, the past reviews on a given subject and see if the consensus, the scientific consensus is accurate. And it just turned out that even omega-3 fatty acids just, they couldn't prove that, yeah. that it was actually that beneficial. And so now, you know, what I've, I've just stepped back from all of that. I don't have a ton of cash, you know, I'm a scientist, right? <laughs> and so now what I do is I focus my funds on having a competent diet. Um, and, you know, I do try and just try and do my best to go to sleep at around the right time every night and try and wake up at the same time every morning. Um, I think that that's really where the, where the most productive focus should, should be rather than trying to, you know, find a, I don't know, a, a cheat code, <laughs> right, to, right. To, you know, getting there. So sleep is super important. I mean, sleep is, is absolutely very important. Yeah. Okay. So that, so that, that's your supplement right there, man. Sleep. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask that because, you know, it's always interesting to ask the person who, you know, is an expert or, you know, studies that feel super hard, you know, or success, super successful in that field, what they do, you know, it's like asking a bodybuilder what he uses sure. or something, you know? So yeah. You a, know, what's funny, man is like, so, um, you know, I, I do my research at, at a, at a university, right. The university of Pennsylvania, and there's, you know, a huge hospital right next to where I research. And what's funny is like all of the emergency room staff, <laughs> like, you know, a lot of the nurses, a lot of the physicians are, will be standing out there smoking cigarettes, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, just another example of the fact that the human brain as amazing and miraculous as, as it is, is imperfect, you know? 
And so we are capable of cognitive dissonance. We are capable of believing something, knowing something, but then acting irrationally despite that knowledge. Right. And still doing it. Yeah. And and, and speaking of cigarettes, you know, obviously, you know, people have this addiction to it, which is a chemical addiction and other things. But um, just speaking on addiction, because you get a lot of questions about that as well. Right. I mean, all kinds of, you know, drug questions about addiction and, and all these things. Can can we become addicted to any and everything? Right. Well, so, I I mean, I should say, like, all of my academic publications are about addiction, and they sort of revolve around nicotine. Um, My most recent publication branches out from nicotine and talks about opiates and alcohol and and a variety of things. Um, But I think a a misconception, a, a very common public misconception, even among physicians, is that addiction is just anything that you're doing regularly. Right. Right. But addiction is, is a specific thing. It is the continued you know, use of a substance like nicotine or you know, whatever it might be, alcohol, despite the fact that you know that there are negative consequences um, or you know, there are predictable negative consequences. Like if you continue buying heroin, you're not going to be able to pay rent, right? Or right. You know, if you keep drinking, you're not going to be able to care for your children. Like there's that. Now, that is, it doesn't have to revolve entirely around substances, although they are a very direct cause of addiction. You know, it could be the engaging, you know, engaging in risky behaviors like, you know, gambling, despite the fact that you might not be able to pay rent or, you know, engaging in in risky, you know, sexual behavior, despite the fact that maybe you have an STD or, you know, you're hanging out with people that you're not entirely sure don't have STDs, you know. Um, So that's really what addiction is. Um, Now, there are habits. There are, you know, compulsions. um, And, you know, there's even, you know, the regular use of a drug. But without negative consequences, it's not quite addiction yet. You know, it's maybe substance dependence. Um, and so, so, so yeah, that, that distinction, I think, is it's valuable to understand the difference between, you know, a person who's doing something regularly, but there's no negative consequence, and a person who's doing something regularly and there's a negative consequence. Right, right. So, so, so it's only an addiction when there's a negative consequence. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's a super, that's a super important distinction. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and so with that being said, I mean, do you, is it from what you've learned? I mean, is, can you, can you have that situation though with anything or does there have to be, um, you know, does there have to be something with the body going on to make that happen? Like the addiction side of things, like, um, you know, an addiction to, like you said, um, gambling, even, um, mm-hmm. I, I've had people in my family, you know, with gambling issues, um, sure. with, with stuff like that, you know, you, you also always hear like someone saying, um, you know, his dad was a gambler, so now he is a gambler, mm. or he's more susceptible to that. Um, is that true, or is that just kind of an, an excuse for people? Yeah, well, I mean, so that, yeah, a couple really interesting topics, but, you know, just directly, like, essentially what that question is asking is, is is addiction heritable? Right, right? sorry. Can you, you inherit You said it, it much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what I study, right? <laughs> um, and so that is, that's an ongoing topic of research. Um Right now, I think pretty much anybody in my position would say, yes, there is definitely a heritable component to addiction. The question is, is that genetically heritable or is that behavioral? Um, and as with, you know, in other words, is it nature or is it nurture, right? Right. The, the constant question in science. Um, and the reality is, you know, the answer to that question is almost always the same. It's a little bit of both. Um, the answer is yes, there, there is a heritable component um, and there are genetic you know, um, what are called short nucleotide polymorphisms, you know, or or mutations that are associated with an increased risk of addiction, right? So in other words, some of it is absolutely genetically transferred, but then there's definitely a behavioral component to it as well, 
where, you know, observing, you know, parent behavior or peer behavior will influence you in a certain way, maybe predispose you to behaving in a certain way. Um, and then also, you know, just because you have a genetic risk factor doesn't mean that you are, it's your destiny to become right. addicted to something, right? Like if you're predisposed to being a heroin a a addict, if you're never exposed to heroin, that's not exactly a problem, right? <laughs> right. right. Um, and so it's always this, this interaction, you know, this fluid interaction between your genetics and the environment. Um, so, yeah. All right. So w w w since, again, we're, we're still talking about addiction and everything here, um, when you, you hear stories of people who say, um, or, or even just, you know, uh, they were addicted to pills or they were on some kind of, some kind of, some kind of drug that they had to get off of. And a lot of times they, you know, that person decides or the, the, whoever they're dealing with decides the best plan for them is to, you know, take themselves out of the situation. Like you have people who move from up north to, to down south. Like I, I've, you know, met people here who are, who have lived in New York their whole life. They come here for a few months to, to break that habit or that addiction. Mm -hmm. um, and then they can go back to functioning again. And, you know, obviously they're always dealing with it in some capacity. But what what is it that when you when you when they leave that place and they come to a new place that they're not familiar with, what is it that helps them stop that? Is it just changing your scenario? I mean, changing your you know your situation, or is there something else happening there? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting topic of research. Um, so basically, it, that that is a good move, <laughs> um, and it, it basically it likely has a lot to do with cues. And so, you know, um, if you have two people right? One of whom is a former heroin addict and the other has never taken heroin before. And you show them a video of somebody injecting heroin. The person who's never taken heroin will just watch it like, you know, maybe they'll be a little freaked out or something, but that'll be it. But then the person who has taken heroin, they get a very, very small taste, neurochemically speaking, of that experience. And so it's sort of like, like that cue reminds them of, you know, this former uh, life that they had, right? This former addiction. Um, uh, and so removing yourself from, you know, and, and so let's, you know, if you're doing heroin and you live in New York, your, your life, you know, is sort of in that context, right? You're surrounded right. by cues and the cue doesn't have to be seeing a needle or seeing heroin. It could be seeing somebody that you used to do heroin with, right? Um, so that you associated with it. Exactly. Or environmental context where, you know, this is where I used to buy heroin, right? So if you just remove yourself from all of those cues, that, that does have an influence on how you, your relationship with that substance. Interesting. And when, when, when someone says, okay, for instance, um, alcoholism, right? Um, you hear people say it's a disease. Mm. I mean, is that, is that the case as far as, is it different than other situations or is it, you know, why, why do they say that alcoholism is, is a disease and, you know, I have to live with it the rest of my life? What, what is that rather than, you know, someone who took maybe pills and were addicted to pills? Um, you don't hear that person typically say it was a disease. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that, that's awesome, man. You're, that's probably going to be the next topic on the podcast. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah. So, um, so and the reason is that there was this paper that came out from a neuroscientist named Carl Hart. Um, He's a really interesting guy, um, kind of provo provocative. Yeah, um, I've heard him on, I think, on like Joe Rogan podcasts and stuff. Interesting right, guy. Right. And so, um, and he, he is, is really like an evangelist for, you know, not being too, too focused on, you know, the physiology alone, certainly when it comes to addiction. Um, and so he recently put out this paper that basically said that calling addiction in general a disease is not only wrong, but it is prejudiced. Um, and, you know, I, 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 we could do this whole podcast on that claim, <laughs> right. um, because I think he makes some really, really good points, but I think he also makes some incorrect points. Um, but basically, you know, 
the question of whether or not addiction from alcoholism to heroin addiction is a disease or a disorder has been an argument that's been going on for decades. And definitely, you know, the argument is taking place in recovery, you know, units right. um, like, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and then also addiction medicine specialists and then also researchers um, like me. And so the reason that people call it a disease is that there are indeed physiological predisposing factors, right? Like we just talked about, you can inherit, you know, a mutation in a certain, you know, uh, neurotransmitter receptor that will predispose you to becoming a nicotine, to, to becoming addicted to nicotine, right? So that is much like, you know, inheriting a mutation that will predispose you to developing Parkinson's disease, right? Oh, okay. And so that's a similarity. But because there's choice involved, you know, fundamentally, you have to choose to ingest this substance. People have, have a tough time um, understandably, have a tough time really perceiving this as a disease on the same level as cancer or diabetes. Um, now, from my perspective, you know, I think that 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 argument, while while it's it's important, it's probably it probably doesn't merit the kind of attention or the kind of energy that we put into it. Right? Who cares? You know, right. it's it, addiction is addiction, and it has its own set of treatments and its own you know realities, and it's not going to respond to treatments in the same way probably as you know uh, cancer will. But still, you know, we need to research it as addiction, you know, and, right. and, you know, when I'm researching addiction, whether or not it's a disease or a disorder doesn't have any major uh, uh, influence over my experimental design, <laughs> you know, right, I mean? right. Um, so, so that, that's the sort of controversy. Okay. And, and, and you say controversy, right? And, and you brought up Carl Hart and you said he's provocative sometimes. And, you know, obviously, um, he's one of those names that you hear, um, in that field, right. In the addiction and stuff field, um, are, are people like that ultimately good for the science though? Because even if they're saying stuff that you don't believe and they kind of go all, you know, all out on it, they still kind of create that conversation that maybe people wouldn't hear if, you know, someone was just kind of you know, staying quiet about things. Do you think they're more beneficial to, to what you're trying to do or that they um, sometimes damage things? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think that that um, is what makes science so, per so, so beautiful, right? Right. Is that, you know, and it's, it's a little bit um, unfamiliar, you know, in, in other areas, we don't really, you know, benefit from a lot of, you know, um, uh, provocateurs or, or whatever. But in science, the it what's fundamental to science is an ongoing improvement and sharpening of our hypotheses and theories and so having somebody you know present an argument and support their argument with research and you know and evidence um that's how we grow you know that that's how we continue to progress in science and so yeah i mean i think it's it's fabulous and, and it really what it does you know, if, if I don't agree with his points, what it does is it forces me to think about why I don't right. agree with his points. Right. And that's great in all levels of science, right? Like, it, you know, if you don't agree that we evolved, right, you know, if you don't uh, uh, believe in evolution or you don't believe in climate change, you know, having somebody, you know, uh, you know, present you with evidence, it kind of forces you to think about why you don't believe, you know, and, and I think that that's a fundamentally good thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm a supporter, even if I don't agree with everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was bringing that up because, you know, the kind of the saying controversy sells and things like that. And it's just kind of, you know, it's always interesting to me because of the fact that sometimes, you know, it feels like sometimes you just got to create a stir just to create the conversation. You know, sometimes you, 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 you make this crazy statement and then now everyone talks about it, though, and we get to the real bottom of the real answer, you know. Um, so I, I think that's that's interesting. And, and I've always wondered, you know, you, you, you mentioned how there's 
different sides or different factions of um, science and and scientists and researchers. And there's these different people. People take sides in a way, right? Um, uh, on this podcast uh, during like football season, we have um, a lot of fantasy football stuff and things like that. And in that in that field, you notice a lot a lot of guys. There's there's your side who are very like stat based and like they just go off of stats. They don't care, uh-huh. you know, what their eyes show them. They just kind of it's a stats thing. And that's all that matters. And then you got the guys who don't care about the numbers and they just see what they what, what's in front of them and that's what they go off of. Um, in science, is it like that? Like are people broken into factions and they just kind of mm-hmm. compete with each other, or are there you know is there an in between and there's guys who kind of you know will will go either way like right yeah no i see what you mean yeah um so there are definitely you know um what you might call uh, theoretical factions like you know like we were talking about in deja vu um you know there are different theories of how memory works right there's there's a theory that you know memory itself is just a spectrum of confidence so you know, you, you can feel familiarity, but then once you develop, once you access that memory, then you're, you're you know, you're experiencing recollection. You're truly having a memory. And it's just a, a spectrum of how strong that memory is. But then there's a, a, another faction that argues, no, these are different things. You know, you can feel familiar despite not having the memory. Right. Right. That there are different systems that communicate with one another. But when that communication breaks down, that's when you experience deja vu. The difference, though, I think... Um, with, with other sort of sectors of society is that both of those factions have evidence, you know, like they both have reasons that they, that they take those stands. Um, and so, you know, it's not necessarily like, like a strategy, um, where, you know, like, like some folks who play, you know, uh, fantasy football will say like, listen, I just care about the history of the team. I care about, you know, the, the nature of the coach and, right. and you know, the relationship of the quarterback with the rest of the team. And then the other, the other faction, the sort of Nate Silver types, right. Who are just like, do the stats, predicted totally based off of stats, um, you know, those are different strategies, right? Whereas in science, the strategy is fundamentally the same. It's just how you're interpreting the data. Gotcha. Gotcha, man. Um, it's, there's so, there's so much things that we can, obviously, like you said, we can go on and on about things and, um, I don't, you know, you, you, the, the, the pod, your podcast is important and I don't, I feel like enough people don't know about it. And, and mm-hmm. I, you know, that's why I like to have you on here and kind of talk about it a lot because you have a lot of great stuff on there. So, you know, I want to kind of jump over to, well, I, I have a couple of questions that I do think I'll foul or no foul. I think we did it last time you were on, um, where I basically am going to throw three statements at you. Um, and just whether you, if, if you agree with the statement, it's no foul. There's nothing wrong with it. You agree with it. If you feel like it's not good, it's a foul. Okay. okay. So if you don't agree with it for whatever reason, so it's just opinion stuff. Um, or obviously, you know, you have a lot of research could, could be fact, <laughs> but, um, so, so you you ready for that? Uh, yeah, let's give it a shot. I'll do my best. It's that time again. Let's play another round of foul or no foul. The first one, and this is a quote, um, there's a one in billions chance we're in a base reality. Now, in other words, I'm sure you understand that, but there's a one in a billion chance that we are not living in some sort of simulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, just you know, that's, a, that's actually a quote from Elon Musk right. um, from, from, from an interview that he had. Um, foul or no foul to that statement? <laughs> uh man you know I, I elon musk is somebody that you don't really it's it's not a good strategy to disagree with that guy <laughs> <laughs> i agree but uh it, it strikes me as a foul i mean it strikes me as something that's unfalsifiable like how can you prove that right you know how can you prove disprove that you know um but you know i'm not a physicist so you know i probably don't have the most insight there yeah it's still fun to think about right Ian? For sure. It's fun. <laughs> All right. Another one that's kind of fun in that, in that regard um, that I want to throw at you, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it as, as well, but the statement is there is no such thing as free will, foul or no foul. No foul. 
do you want to care to elaborate on any <laughs> reason? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, you know, free will, it's kind of like addiction. It's a fraught issue, right? People have a ton of, you know, it, it's an emotional issue for, for a lot of people. Um, and a lot of people don't even realize that it's emotional. Um, you know, it, it sort of taps into spirituality and religious beliefs, as well as, you know, just sort of logic and reason, right? Um, you know, so, but just given, we could do the whole podcast on free will, of course, right? Yeah, this, this, this is why I say, you know, I could do a podcast with you every day, man. Like, <laughs> there's just so much stuff that are so interesting that you know so much about and have so much, such interesting ideas on. You don't, you don't put out enough episodes for me, man. Come on. <laughs> I know. No, tell me about it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but so just, you know, to, to sum up a ton, to, to do a disservice to yes. all of the research, um, just based off of the way that decision making works, the way that behavior works, um, there's just not a lot to grab onto if you're trying to prove that free will exists. Um, so yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I got you. And, and again, um, I have one more here for you and this one is participation trophies. You know, if you're <laughs> second place, third place, you get a trophy creates a mindset that sets us up to fail, foul or no foul. Oh man. Um, wait, so, so, so participation trophies sets us up to fail. Right. Um, I think, oh man, I think no foul. So, so you, so you agree with it? I think so, man. I like, I, you know, I don't have kids yet. I planning, I'm planning on having kids, but you know, some of the, the theories that, that people have been discussing with regards to how to set them up to, for success, right? Right. Is that instead of rewarding just having done something, what you want to reward is the effort, right? That, um, you want to encourage their best effort. And that doesn't necessarily mean that all that they care about is a trophy at the end or, you know, like some kind of deliverable, right? Some kind right. of thing that they're going to get at the end. What they should care about is the effort itself, you know, the the process of, in my case, it would be, you know, learning. Like the, you know, you want to instill that drive to get more information, not because you're going to be able to take over the world or become a billionaire, right? Although that's great, um, <laughs> but because it's fundamentally human and it is a wonderful thing you know um and it, it can be it should be fun um and so yeah i mean i think participation trophies are, are sort of pro probably counterproductive to that um i don't know that they ruin you know everybody but right um, it's, it's not what i would be giving a trophy for <laughs> gotcha um and, and, and really quick um because i, I man i don't want to take up all your time i know how busy you are um do you get a lot of questions about like success or anything like that like what's going on in the brain for successful people is that is that something that comes up ever or that's researched at all like is there you know something different going on in the mind of successful people extremely successful success? I know, and i know success is kind of a um you know, uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, how you, everyone sees success differently, but do you ever get questions or is there research on stuff like that? As far as, you know, successful people's, you know, mind or brain, how it reacts and how it functions compared to non success, you know, again, non successful, depending on how you look at it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that definitely comes up all the time. And in fact, like I, I'll get messages on, you know, like Twitter, um, from CEOs, you know, like trying wow. to, to you know, talk about like, you know, strategies and stuff like that. And, you know, of course, there is something different that's going on in everybody's brain, right? So it, just because somebody's successful, that that's not what's you know causing them to have unique brain activity. Everybody, you and I are having different brain activity, right? Right. Um, and you know, just like I'm very skeptical of the supplement industry in general, you know, that whole world, we don't really understand enough about the brain to really competently articulate what it is specifically that's going on in the brain. That's causing somebody to be to, to, it's causing somebody to be uh, successful. I mean, 
hell, we don't even know exactly what's going on in the brain that causes somebody to be schizophrenic right. or depressed, you know, um, <laughs> or hungry, you know, like we, we understand a lot about it, but I couldn't, you know, no scientist could tell you this is exactly why this person is hungry at this time. And, and so, you know, to, to say like, you know, to, to accomplish a specific goal to, you know, to articulate what in the brain is causing that. Um, I think it's, it's, it extends beyond our knowledge, our current knowledge of the brain uh, today. Man, it's, it's always fun talking to you or, or watching you talk or listening to your podcast, because it reminds me how much, you know, we don't know. While right. there is so much that we do know, you know, I think, you know, it's important to know what we don't know and to know that we don't know it. You know, it's, it's just, it's always, it's always a, you know, awesome to hear that and then and, and to have that realization. Um, and also, man, CEO sliding in Ian's DMs. Come on. That's why, that's why I don't have a chance sometimes. That's why Ian's like, ah, sorry, man. It's been a week, you know, you got I know, CEO dude, sliding so in. People are a little that. more important than me. That's understandable, man. Not at all, man. <laughs> I love chatting. <laughs> uh, it's all good. Um, so again, I, you know, obviously, you know, I, I appreciate your time so much. I know you got so much to do and, and, and people are sliding in those DMs, but what, um, for, for, for just, I want to touch on a couple of things for periscope what are what are your future plans because i don't know if people who who are using periscope or don't know or don't use it at all don't know i'm talking about but like you had that 360 feature which is crazy to me i mean it's probably more simpler on your end but to me just watching it is like it's mind-blowing that it's a a possibility um so do you have what what are things that people can look forward to on periscope that you're gonna you know kind of uh, let us see uh, in your world and in your research and stuff sure yeah so so i mean so j- just to, to make it clear what this is, right, this is a camera that I can attach to, you know, my whatever I'm streaming with. In most cases, it's my phone. And what it enables you to do as, as a viewer is move the image at your own discretion, right? So it doesn't matter what I'm pointing the camera at. You can look at whatever yeah, you want so in 360 crazy. degrees. It's so crazy. And you can technically, you can put it into like a viewer, like, a you know, one of those like, masks you uh-huh. know, that people wear. The VR and, type things? VR, I think, yeah. And if you move your head, the image is moving with you. Um, so it, it's just another step towards you, like literally transporting yourself to where I am. Um, and so, you know, I, I think just like with live streaming and Periscope in general, we're all still kind of learning what we can do with this and how it's useful and how it's not useful. Um, this is even newer, you know, like the rules are being written right now. Right. And, um, and who better to have it than you? I mean, I, I either got a guy eating breakfast or I got you and I want to see your 360 <laughs> view over there personally. And, and, and before you explain what you did, they did they send that to you, Periscope, or is that something you did on your own? I can't really talk about that. Ah, that's what I figured. That's what I figured. So, <laughs> so do you have any plans with it, though, different things that we we're going to get to see? Uh, yeah, for sure. So, um, so I've done a couple sort of, you know, test runs, unofficial test runs where, you know, for example, I went to the Rocky steps and, you know, I went to, you know, you know, the, that statue of the thinker where, yeah. you know, you so did it in I, your you know, office too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did, your yeah office. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what I have uh, planned is that, um, you know, while Philadelphia is famous for cheesesteaks and for Rocky, maybe, um, it has, you know, it's one of the first places where like standards in medicine were established. Um, and that place where that occurred um, still exists. It's called the Mutter Museum. Uh, it's called the F- College of Physicians. And um, they have one of the most extensive collections of medical specimens in the world. And when I say medical specimens, we're not talking about just like bones, although they have a lot of bones. <laughs> like they have the only public display of um, specimens of Albert Einstein's brain. Wow. Um, they also have a huge collection of the brains of people who had. Uh, diseases and disorders like you know epilepsy or Alzheimer's disease or strokes, 
and you can literally see the brains. Um, and so I, you know, I, I've reached out to those folks and we have something planned where um, I'm going to, you know, basically do a, a 360 uh, live stream of those collections. Um, and so that that's one example. Uh, and of course, you know, talking about what it was that was unique about Albert, Albert Einstein's brain, like anatomically speaking. Right. Um, and then, you know, there are a bunch of other examples, other, you know, collections of, of biological specimens. I'll branch out a little bit from the brain. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of a brave new world with regards to live 360. Um, uh, and so, you know, feedback from, from you and, and your listeners is super appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very cool stuff. And anyone who doesn't have the Periscope app, you know, needs to get it, follow in, um, lots of cool stuff happen, happen in there as far as following you, social media and stuff like that, where, where can people find you? Um, you know, the podcast, all, all that stuff, where can they sure. get, you know, get in contact with you and stuff like that? So, I mean, probably, you know, the easiest thing to do would just be to go to my website. It's just anthropoid.science um, instead of .com. It's just .science, which is kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you know, um, that that's just where all of the information is. Um, but, you know, I've explored Facebook and Snapchat. And my favorite is still Twitter. I love Twitter. Yeah, me too. Um, and so Twitter is underscore at underscore anthropoid. Um, and then that's, you know, Periscope is based through Twitter. Um, and so I, it's the same handle on Periscope. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I, I love interacting with, with people on Twitter. So uh, reach out. Okay. And, and, and also, you know, I mentioned you always know where to direct people to, to make things happen, to make changes happen, but how can they support what you do, the research you do, the things that you're learning every day and trying to make better and trying to, you know, change the world with somehow, some way, how, how can people support those things that you do? Yeah. I mean, so I'm working on developing those resources, um, particularly like, um, science policy. So, you know, I'm on the board of the Penn Science Policy Group, and we, we just put out a podcast. We're actually going to record our next episode uh, tomorrow. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the best way is, is really just to, you know, interact with me on, on Twitter. Um, that's really what I enjoy. But then also, you know, check out the podcast. It's called Wired to be Weird, and it's on iTunes and Stitcher and a couple other services that I can't remember anymore. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, Pretty soon, I'm going to start thinking a little bit more specifically about, you know, how to improve these resources um, and just bring people closer to science who are interested, but they just, it's not obvious how to get involved or how to increase their exposure. Um, you know, TV isn't enough. Um, and so that, that's something that I'm going to be thinking about. But until then, yeah, just, you know, connect with me on, on Twitter. Absolutely. That's awesome. And, and uh, you know, I always ask, you know, the guests to to leave our clock Dodgers with a message, um, mm -hmm. anything you want, man. It doesn't have to pertain to anything we spoke about today. It could literally be anything. Um, can, can you leave us with some kind of uh, some kind of message here, man? Huh? Um, it can be anything you want. OK, yeah. Um, just given the fact that I just finished this Deja Vu episode, I think it's very important for all of us to always maintain skepticism. Um, you know, healthy skepticism, cordial skepticism, but always think about what are the motivations of this person who's trying to convince me of something? Um, you know, we are very vulnerable to being convinced by false evidence or by, you know, motivated claims. And so, so long, you know, the best protection that we have against that is to always think about why they're saying what they're saying and what they're trying, potentially trying to get out of you. Um, I think that would be it. <laughs> Interesting stuff, man. Intriguing, guys. Let that sit on your brain. He planted a seed there somewhere. We got to figure it out. But listen, again, you're the Neil deGrasse Tyson of, of neuroscience, man. <laughs> we'll I'm see. telling we'll you. See. I'm telling you, Ian. <laughs> you need to embrace it. 
<laughs> you are. But again, man, I, I appreciate your time. Again, follow him on Twitter. Go to his Periscopes. Go to his podcast. Subscribe. Review. Ian is an awesome dude, you know, doing awesome work. And I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I always look forward to these. I get, like, more excited having you on than anybody else I could think of. Uh, and that's no slight to anybody else. I just think you're that cool. And oh, um, <laughs> so I really appreciate it. Support Ian in every way you guys can. And uh, you have a good day, man. Yeah, you too. Great All chat. Right. Thanks. Visit for more unique content. Connect with us now by following at Clock Dodgers on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope.
For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.